Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello there, welcome to Down With D&D. My name is Sean Merwin, and let us get our game on, or at least talking about our getting our game on, Woo! With, with none other than Teos Abadia. Teos, how's it going? It's going much better. This is a, a wonderful day. Uh, I feel a whole world better than I did last time we recorded. Having, yeah. I'm still exiled from Portland, but the air is actually cleaner there, and I could return, and we will return at some point. Breathing, breathing that fresh desert air. I am breathing fresh desert air. Uh, there is the pool. I mean, when when I am a refugee, I do do it well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, hey, it's it's good that you can refugee in style. It is not a sob story, uh, and today has been really positive for news that we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. So let's get right to that news. Uh, the first bit of news was both you and I, and hundreds, if not thousands, of other people got a chance to play some D&D, watch some games, hear some news at D&D Celebration. And from everything I heard, just from the running of games side of things, it went very well. Yeah, amazingly well. I think it was halfway through the first day, there were more than a thousand players had gone through. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I understand it, pretty much every table was sold out through the online system. Um, So... Yeah, and we had a lot of DMs for that. So it was, it was a huge success. Tons of people showed up. We had uh, two adventures. One, the, the now it's third run of mm-hmm. the intro that you wrote for Icewind Dale 10 uh, mm-hmm. Ice Road Trackers. Correct. Super awesome. Super highly well-regarded. Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, the new intro, 10-01, The Frozen North, written mm-hmm. by uh, Paige Leitman. And Travis Woodall, that was really well regarded as well. Um, both mm-hmm. give you kind of sh- a series of short, fast, fun encounters uh, that help you think through what it's like to be in this kind of Icewind Dale setting. And then the epic by you mm-hmm. and Celeste. Mm-hmm. Celeste Conowich, yeah, that was, it was written originally to be run in person. And it was then adapted to run online based on feedback uh, from people who had experience running online epics. It's really easy to take an epic written for in-person and change it to online. You just need about two weeks of a bunch of us in a room banging at every aspect of it. Yeah. And and it's it's not even the adventure itself that is problematic. It's just getting everyone uh, on on task and on track with how the technology is going to work. Yeah, it is. I mean, we could do a show just on that because it's so, it was fascinating to me. Like I would, I would remark to my wife and to my kids, like, wow, it's hard to do this. Like it's hard to get everybody online and figure out how to make the interactivity work. And, but, but it worked. People loved it. Right. And I mean, DMing takes certain skills. Yeah. DMing in person takes certain skills and DMing online takes certain skills. I would not be able to run an Epic online simply because once I am locked into DM, I am all about the players. Mm-hmm. And if something is going to interrupt me, I, I, I can't keep my eye on some channels. Yeah. 
if there was a loud dinging sound, I could do it. Um, if, if there was someone screaming in my ear, then I would know, okay, it's time to stop. If the players told me, okay, it's time to stop, there's an announcement coming, I'd be fine. Uh, but I just don't have that, that sense of focus to be able to keep my eye on. I could keep my eye on three things at once. The fourth thing, you get me. That was, so, that was the hardest part because you know, the Epic had, very, had multiple semi-short pieces that needed to kind of run in order in a confined sequence. And so like, you know, like a half hour has gone by now do the next thing or 20 minutes have gone by do the next thing. And so you really had to track the time. And of course what happened was at the very beginning you have the, Hey, could you copy my token into roll 20? Um, right. Is it okay if I do, you know, I can't find the channel, my buddy mm -hmm. can't find it. And, and you'd have to figure those things out and then adjust everything. So you were back on the same schedule. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we, we actually tried to make the very first thing that you do longer time wise than it needed to be. It was basically a 10 or 15 minute thing that could have been done in three minutes. Yeah. Um, so we, we tried to even give time that, but, but even then, right, it all depends on the player. We, we tried to provide the players ahead of time uh, some information about if you're in discord and you need to get back to your table, here's how you do it. Yeah. So just to help with those sorts of things. But even then, it's technology. Everyone has a different level of familiarity. Everyone has a different level of comfort. So running online is, is a whole different animal. But it was great. And we, I mean, can I just yeah. say, like, like you, you have a knack for this, uh, and Celeste as well, where, where the two of you wrote an epic that I think, like the best epics or opens, um, it has compelling combat situations, and certainly there was amazing excitement there, but it also kind of scratched other itches. It, it, it pushed for creativity in other ways. I don't want to spoil it because it will run again online, but, but people were really enjoying those other things that they had to do and the ways that it you know, brought them into almost LARPing, RPGing, and role-playing in ways that, that you don't usually do. And those were really well done. Yep. So it, it, it is, we, we ran it three times. Yeah. And, and now, so now we have a few places where we know we need to sand down some rough edges. Uh, we will go back. We'll, we'll do a little bit of tweaking on it. And then it will be running at other places online and hopefully in person at some point <laughs> in the not so distant but definitely a little bit distant future sure let's go with that uh, yeah and uh, tables were run as you know in spanish yeah. as well as italian portuguese and german that's really cool so that was the first time that we added italian and german uh, i believe to the mix um, mm -hmm. and combined with all the tables that ran in other languages at pax online like this was a big weekend for and, and week for international play it was pretty cool mm -hmm. that's it's it is great to have not just new voices in design, right? yeah. new voices, but new voices getting involved as players in the community that we've known for 20 years yeah. plus. And so it's that, also, that's great. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning that tables were run at what we would call odd hours, but that is normal hours for the rest of the world. Um, right. So we had DMs that were like, I think in New Zealand that ran mm -hmm. so that to accommodate other areas of the world. Um, yeah. which is also, you know, takes some planning and execution. And so that was, 
it was really cool. There was a lot of work to make that happen. And, and I w again want to thank Wizards of the Coast for wanting to do this, Baldman Games for wanting to do this. You know, they both want this and, and take the steps to make it easier. And we keep talking about how to do more of this. Uh, I could go on forever about all the really cool conversations I had in my Spanish language tables about how much it meant to people. So I'll just yeah. say that. <laughs> yep. And outside of the actual online play, there was a lot of other stuff going on. I didn't get a chance to see any of it because I was either working or getting ready to work or winding down from work, but there were streams. Uh, there was a website that had puzzles that where you could unlock uh, either information about some upcoming books or some certs to use with your characters. Uh, did you catch any of those announcements? So I, I didn't, but I got to see some people sort of ooing and eyeing about the website. So you can still go to the D&D Celebration website if you have the address or if you look at our old show notes, you can go to mm -hmm. it. Uh, it's still up. It doesn't have, I think, the puzzles connected, but it used to be you could interact with the. They have a neat map of Iceland Dale there, which is actually really cool and worth saving. Uh, you know, download that because it looks so nice. Uh, and you could click on it and then click on different places. You could sort of find uh, puzzles and you could do the puzzles. And, and those received some good reviews as to they were quite clever as to how you would do them. And then if you did them, you unlocked these downloads and they have now placed and we'll have the link in the show notes. The things you could get are now available there so you can see them and includes mm -hmm. previews of the Barbarian Path of Wild Magic, the Genie Warlock, two tattoo wondrous items. Two spells, one of which is very interesting because it's a spell, but it's psionics, mind mm. sliver, uh, wallpapers, and then a bunch of uh, Adventures League certs that were pretty cool. Excellent. And they, they did announce something about two, the 2021 schedule. Did you want to share what you heard about that? Yeah. So in one of the, the very last session, um, was with Liz Shu, who is kind of the um, the bigger picture person that's above the D and D team. As and mm -hmm. there's a probably a great way to explain it, but that's how I think of it. Uh, Liz right. is awesome. I've met her before, um, and then also with Ray um, Winninger. Thank you, Winninger, mm -hmm. um, who is the the director of the team basically for D and D. And the yep. two of them discussed where the team is and where they're going. And, and, and a number of other interesting design pieces. And the piece that kind of blew everyone's mind was where they said, we're going to revisit, and in 2021, we're going to be emphasizing settings and revisiting three classic settings. Wow. There aren't that many settings left that they haven't revisited already. <laughs> well, and I, you know, so this immediately started a, a lot of discussion on Twitter and yeah. certainly my brain. Was <laughs> Spell jammer confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I mean, you know, you have to wonder, like, what are the ones, right? And, right. And, and to what extent, what they mean by this, right? Because it's one thing to say, like, we are right. releasing, you know, Dragonlance as a setting. And I think when people right. think that, they tend to take every piece they ever loved about a setting and assume that all of that will be in a box. Sure. But it might not be that, right? Like, I mean, I think sure. there was some marketing when Ghosts of Saltmarsh came out before, before it was announced what it really was that said sort of, we're going to be visiting another setting. Right. Because that Ghosts of Saltmarsh is based in Greyhawk, but it, it is not mm -hmm. the Greyhawk setting, right? It doesn't give oh, you for that. sure. And it doesn't scratch that entire itch. It, you know, it gives you some nice pieces yeah. about Keelan and so on. 
But so, you know, maybe that's some of it too. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a mix. Maybe there's an actual going back to a classic setting in a sort of full robust way. Maybe there's something that's a little bit like Curse of Strahd and maybe there's something that's a bit like Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Yeah, and it could be a card game or a board game for all we know. Right, right? yes. Re- revisiting could be anything. It could be a set of minis that right. touch on so something. Who so who knows? Yeah, but hey, at least those people that are clamoring for anything from those older settings, yeah, those classic settings. We just finished reviewing Theros, right? True. And yep. what do they announce? We're going to do another Magic yeah. the Gathering crossover coming. So which one will that be? Right. Yep. So if you're a Magic fan as well as a D&D fan, you can start the speculation there. And then you wonder, so, you know, they've, they've announced, what was it, two weeks ago, I think they announced that um, Magic the Gathering will have a set that's a D&D set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how will that tie in? You know, will they, will they, what will be like, are they going to cross over from both sides and some, wow. I don't right. Know. Yeah. I mean, th- that, it was the adventures in forgotten realms, right? Was what yeah. they called the magic. So it, will there be a magic setting for dark sun? <sighs> How awesome would that be? Right. You know, something like that, but we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves yeah. now. Who knows? And so D and D celebration overall uh, from the inside, it went very well. Uh, the players that I got to interact with seemed to have a wonderful time. Um, and the few bumps that were there, we know that can we can smooth those out uh, going forward because this was this was a very big and uh, quite complicated undertaking. Yeah, it, but it feels like this um, like this works, right? Like if you think of just the number of people that showed up to the games, it's clear that an event like D and D Celebration reaches thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones who played games. And I would say the games, you know, maybe don't even have the most emphasis. If you just neutrally right. look at what D&D Celebration as a marketing thing is doing, that's a small part of it. And so then I, the number of people viewing things and interacting with the site and, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. This reaches a lot of people and, and few game companies can do something like this. And, and I, this seems like we're going to see more of this from Wizards. It would make sense. And what was most... Uh uplifting to me was of the six tables I ran probably 80% of the people were not adventures league players. Yeah. Right. They may have never played adventures league. They may have only dabbled in it, but they, they were still coming to play without even knowing what adventures league was or only having a, you know, a modicum of a clue what it was. So that's great news as well. And speaking of great news, as we cover the expansion of D and D and of role-playing games, we like to keep track of new job openings because that sort of gives us a clue on how fast the, uh, this hobby, this, this business is growing. And a friend of the show and friend of ours, James Introcaso announced just a day ago, that he was going to become a full-time employee of MCDM. That is huge so, news. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so you, you have a you have a particular take on this. Well, I do because I think you know historically speaking, the number of times that an RPG company adds a full-time employee mm-hmm. is actually small. Very small. It's shockingly small. Like it, it, it will make you cry small. If you think about it, you know, in, in the perspective of the hobby and MCDM hired James who, you know, any of us who work with him know how good he is. 
mm-hmm. um, and know that he he's a person who for this to work like it had to like this is a big deal like it's not just like a hey do you right. want to work sure um, yeah this is big and and what James offers to a company like MCDM is huge and MCDM is saying we're going to be hiring other people too mm-hmm. and and that's that kind of growth mindset is something you you don't see in sort of existing RPG, non-wizards, non-paizo companies. But right. I think it's, it's, we're seeing things change. Like it, like it's, there's sort of been this paizo wizards is huge and they operate in a whole nother way than anyone else does. And we just finished talking about D&D celebration. And it's a good example of it. Um, yep. A scale that no one else can touch, right? And then you've had long-standing or re- reasonably long-standing companies that are great, but they, they seem to be unable to really, really capitalize on growth. And then we've had Kickstarter as a way that helps them or creates these sort of other entities, but they're maybe not mm-hmm. quite companies. And we're starting to see where suddenly crowdsourcing is enabling a new type of company to be created. And it can be media savvy and production savvy, and they mm-hmm. can bring in big money. And right. I think this is the tip of the iceberg of how we're going to see a new era for the non-wizard, non-paizo company and a new definition of what that is in the hobby because because there's money out there and there are ways to get it and that can translate to employees with good jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of good jobs, uh, the digital publishing section of Wizards has two new job openings, a creative lead and a narrative design lead. So, you know, along with the three openings that are currently there that we've talked about in the past, that's a lot of a lot of game design work coming up. And these two jobs are kind of interesting because they're for the digital publishing part. And so they, they cross, they seem to cross different areas and they can deal with things like mobile games and, and a lot of different angles. So uh, it's kind of fun. Like they, these seem like, like they could be really interesting jobs to have. Yeah. Yeah. If you are in the Seattle area or willing to locate to the Seattle area, there you go. And uh, a Kickstarter came to my attention, and it's, it's along these same lines. Um, the Kickstarter is called Grim Hollow, The Player's Guide. Um, and it says it's the ultimate player's companion for making gritty characters in a dark fantasy setting. Um, they just went live yesterday, and they're already up over $100,000. <laughs> and this is a company that doesn't have a big name attached to it. They don't have a big following from before they didn't work on other this is a brand new company uh, to rpgs basically uh their previous kickstarter raised over a quarter of a million dollars that's the grim hollow setting and here they are a day into this player's guide and they're over a hundred thousand dollars yeah um it doesn't have matt mercer attached to it right it doesn't have right uh monty cook attached to it it doesn't have any big names and yet there they are Right. And so, so something like that, you can check it out. Uh, it's the Grim Hollow Players Guide. Uh, you can go to there on Kickstarter and see what they have to offer. And again, it's a lot of minis, a lot of uh, accessories if you want them, but also just the core game experience of this variation 5e yeah. dark fantasy campaign. Really cool. And they have on the, uh, I think this Kickstarter also shows some examples of content if you if you go and look at the kickstarter you can see the kind of things that they're offering with it so it's kind of neat to just mm-hmm. look at and peruse yeah and, and see what 
what can still be expanded upon in a 5e game. Yeah. Yep. And speaking of Kickstarters, we want to call attention to the Skull Kickers, Caster Bastards, and the Great Grotesque Kickstarter. A couple months ago, Jim Zub put out on Twitter something I never thought I'd see. Hey, I want some people to come work with me. Let me, you know, private message me or reply if if you're interested. Well, I'm sure 100,000 private messages or replies later, uh, he was swamped. But that Kickstarter is now up. And it is based on an old comic book. A story of monster smashing mercenaries caught in a whirlwind of adventure as they seek gold, glory, and good times. So this Kickstarter will bring to you not just a 30-plus page comic book, but also a 60-plus page D&D campaign from game designers like Mike Olson, ERF Jordan, and Clint Croc, along with many still waiting to be announced. Um, and Mike Olson was a DM for the D&D celebration. We, we worked with him. Uh, he was there running with the rest of us. Yeah, uh, and I know that he's on your blog a lot. Yeah, he leaves comments on the blog. Uh, we've gamed together at Winter Fantasy. Show uh, he also, yeah, He also worked on the Fate Core Handbook uh, for uh, Evil Hat, which is one of my favorite game books outside of the D&D world to just read over for great, uh, great advice, great game design. Yeah. So you can check that out on Kickstarter. It's called Skull Kickers. Yeah, it's very cool. And Jim Zub is is a really cool guy in the mm-hmm. yeah. You, you know, we can really now say in the industry. Um, yeah. Right. You might in the olden days have thought like, well, he's a person who does comic books, sometimes D and D comic books, but no, like you know, this is the world we live in where we are all kind of integrated. Uh, yeah. into this and, and he's worked on a number of things that tie over into the D side too he's got all those beginner books that he works on yeah um the intro books that are very popular rick and morty's box set he yeah, worked on exactly yeah rick and morty so yeah he he's uh now established himself not just in the comic book world but in the D world as well and kind of like we were saying before with with other designers you know this new world we live in he doesn't have to just wait for the next wizards of the coast project he can also do his own dreams through crowdsourcing it's awesome to see it's doing really well for sure yep uh Another product that is on the horizon we want to mention is from the D&D Adventures League Administrators. It is called Knuckleheads and Other Such Curiosities. It will be coming out, hopefully, uh, in early October in both PDF and print form on the DMs Guild. Uh, Greg Marks has been tweeting about it uh, on Twitter as opposed to tweeting about it, I don't know, outdoors. <laughs> but yes, tweeting about it on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Scarrett the Green, but the is spelled with a seven and a three instead of a T and an E for some reason. But uh, he's been revealing bits about it. And the first things he said were there, this would involve two full-length DD Adventures League adventures. Uh, one for season 10 set in Icewind Dale, and one set in the Frostfell and playable in the Oracle of War Eberron campaign, Cross if that over. is your, if that's your juice. That's cool. So, yep. And it will also contain a bunch of new monsters and spells and shorter encounters and subclasses and equipment and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so look for that at the beginning of October. Whew. Hey, you, you have a little bit of news. We talked about HeroQuest and you were holding out on us, Teo Sabadina. <laughs> Turns you out were holding out on us. 
Yeah, and I, I thought I was going to have to hold out on everybody again because today on the day of recording, I knew that this would launch, but I had no idea whether it would include my name in it. And um, not all the details are out and I can't say anything that's not public. But yeah, so last week we mentioned that Avalon Hill is now part of Hasbro versus being under the Wizards of the Coast section. Uh, and they have launched HeroQuest. They had this countdown timer website, and now it's out. And uh, they have a Hasbro sort of crowdsourcing page that's running this thing for 45 days where you can go and you can get a new version of the HeroQuest game. Mm-hmm. And there are two options for what you get. You can get this basic set or you can get the everything, uh, which includes mm-hmm. two expansions redone, old expansions redone. Uh, and then more minis and things like that, and then what they say are unlocks. And I think that's going to be slowly revealed what exactly is unlocked. Uh, But they say that Stephen Baker, who did original quests 28 years ago, is back as a guest designer. And somehow, despite that being, I mean, he could have just done all of it. Uh, I am a guest quest designer. Nice. So you got to... The greatest thing about HeroQuest is Tales of Abadia working on it. (laughs) Right. Uh, Most certainly not, but I had a blast. And I, I, you know, again, I can't talk about what I did, but, but it was, this is the first time I've really been in like sort of the board game mind space as a designer. Yep. And it was really cool. So I look forward to being able to say more about it. Uh, they also announced we, other designers who worked on the Druid and Warlock characters, Nikki Dawes and Shauna Nakasone. They spilled the beans that Max Dunbar has done at least some of the new art. They have a ton mm-hmm. of new minis. There's this whole video that's awesome that shows off all the incredible minis, including Terrain, which I'm sure I'll be using in my D&D games. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, and it's worth saying one of the listeners last week said, uh, you know, hey, you didn't mention the fact that in the olden days, this was a partnership. Uh, the original HeroQuest is made as a partnership with Games Workshop, and True. now it's all Hasbro. So it looks like, from what we can see, there's you know those Games Workshop elements have been faded out and renamed and so on. Yep. So that is not on Kickstarter, but it is on a site called HasbroPulse.com, which is a crowdfunding uh, site that looks like it's run directly by Hasbro. That's kind of cool, so, right? Why don't you make yeah, your own it, it crowdfunding site? Yeah. It, uh, well, I, I mean, that makes sense because Kickstarter is wonderful, but Kickstarter gets a good chunk of your uh, cash when you succeed. So uh, having, having I, I am not surprised at all to see this. It shocked me, but I was not surprised. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and it has done well. I originally put in the show notes like, oh, it you know, raised 100K and like, I don't know, minutes or something, but it's more than 400K already. So it's with 45 days left, I'm, yeah. it's pretty safe to say it's going to reach its target and fund. Uh, and maybe it'll do a lot more than that. So we'll see what, what they announce with these <laughs> well, unlocks. Let, let's put it this way. Two hours ago when I went to the site, it was at $100,000. Yeah. And two hours later, it's now at 400000 So I think we, we know it's well on its way to over a million and probably much, much more beyond that. Yeah, I'm excited for people to see the the designs that we did. So it's cool. I will be I will be backing it. That's for sure. And speaking of minis, Teos, we're gonna go to Teos's WizKids corner. <laughs> so I mean, look, it's a little creepy that WizKids has somehow like attached a device to my brain and is are stealing my ideas because uh-huh. they just announced the hand and eye of Vecna 
as a collectible. You know, they've had things like <laughs> dragon heads and somehow right. they stole my thoughts and created mm -hmm. this. Uh, it, it is $130, but right. it is a seven inch base, 10.5 inches tall glass dome cover. And inside of this <laughs> thing, as if you were in a museum or displayed <laughs> the severed hand of Vecna and held between thumb and forefinger are is mm -hmm. the eye of Vecna. Nice. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a collector, but I think that is just completely awesome. If if they had the head of Vecna, that would have been even better. But that's a that's a whole other story. And and what's this? Uh, the tower. So two hundred and fifty dollars. Because uh -huh. why not? Gets you sure. the tower, which is being released in November. This is a big, huge tower uh, that is three levels, and you can take it apart so that you can play on each level, you know, okay. so you can reveal levels as you want and play on them. It has also removable windows, buttresses, stairs, and floors. The floor tiles are double-sided. I'm sure that kind of like the, the ship was, their cardboard, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. and you have a gridded right. side on one side, non-gridded on the other. Uh, eight inches in diameter. Each level is just under four inches tall, so it's about a foot tall or so. Wow. I mean, very sweet. If yeah. You, if you if you have the $250, yeah. I'm sure you'll have fun with it. If you're a D&D &D collector, it's a great time to uh to be to have a lot of money and to be able to spend it on things like this. Yep. Yeah, no. I mean, these companies now know there are gamers with money and you can reach out yep. to them and they will they will make it happen. Yep. And uh, we, you know, we covered all of this and packs ended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, every, from everything I heard, it sounds like a lot of games were played. A lot of panels were viewed. Um, if you want to watch the panel that Teos and I did, it is up on YouTube. It is called the proper care and feeding of your franchise, D and D the AI way. Yep. We have a link to it in the show notes. You can go straight to where that one starts, but yeah, tons That's of really right. good panels there. Yeah, and you, of course, you can't get enough of us, so you want to go right from this podcast right there to, to hear another hour. <laughs> but to get on to our main topic, I am excited to dig into the new D&D hardcover adventure and setting, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden. Just, yeah, just to warn you, this review, which will probably last at least four weeks if if not longer because teos and i tend to get thorough about the things we review will be spoilerific we are going to talk about it we are going to talk about what happens in it we are going to get right down into the nitty-gritty so if you're a player and you don't like to have your adventure spoiled um you can still follow along you know on our show with the news and stuff but you might want to avoid uh the second half of our show for the next few weeks yeah because we want to we want to as much as it we want to make yeah. it useful to DMs and exactly. have perspective for the DMs and for the running of the adventure. So we're going to get into it and look at it from yep. all the ways. Yep. And the first thing we want to talk about is on the credits page, uh, because we can't help but notice that the authoring team and the world design team includes many freelancers working with Botsy staff, uh, several of whom were non-male, Yeah, which is probably... Other than something, well, for a Wizards of the Coast product, this is new. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been several high-profile uh, things up on the DMs Guild, say. Uh, right. But, you know, for the most part, 
Right. Wizards product that that is something new for anything, and something yeah, for, exciting. For anything with more than two writers, right? because we've had products that are created by uh, a female writer uh, mm-hmm. going back to early TSR days and all of that. But to have sure. um, a, a project with more than two writers, we have majority non-male is, is, is new, which is awesome. And it's very exciting, you know, for me as a player, it's exciting for me as a design lead on product projects or as an editor or as someone who oversees writing, this is exciting for me uh, because it gives me the hope and the desire to reach out to non-male, non-white people and know that we can get a great product out of it. Yeah. So, uh, what was the Canadian joke? <laughs> so, you know that how Wizards has those disclaimers? Yeah. Every product has that little italics disclaimer. And, and this one is, yeah. is suitably funny, and it involves a joke about the knucklehead trout. Yeah. Uh, and so, Perkins is Canadian originally. Uh, yeah. And I, I imagine he's the person, as head writer, that he snuck in this knucklehead oh, to the disclaimer. Gotcha. Nice. They snuck in the that Canadian would, joke into the disclaimer, which I think is pretty funny. That would well, the Great White North. That you can't. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you can't have Icewind Dale without uh, you know a Tim Horton somewhere uh, <laughs> in one of the ten towns. There are a lot of those types of jokes in the adventure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, right. well, yeah. There are, and and homages to the thing are are a plenty. Oh yeah, for sure. So we're going to talk first about uh, the pre-chapter one text where they talk about the book organization to just to show how deep we're going to delve into this. I think probably the rest of the episode is going to be covering before we even get to chapter one. Well, and I think, you know, not only because you and I love details, we do, but but it, it does. It tells you a lot about the book, how you mm-hmm. set it up. Right. And it gets you ready exactly. for how you're going to run this. Right. As we've talked about time and time again, D&D adventures, D&D books are technical manuals. They're not novels. They're not short stories. They're technical manuals. And the most important part of a technical manual is its layout, how it's set up, how it delivers the information that it needs to get across to you as the reader. So that's why detailed focus Teos and I are going to, uh, to really break this down. Uh, so the, the book starts with a non-chapter called Welcome to the Far North. And the first five paragraphs welcome you to the setting, and they give you a nice, concise, 10,000-foot view of the campaign, the setting, and the adventure. Yeah. Uh, here's the tone. Here's the atmosphere. Here's kind of a quick rundown of what happens in this adventure. Boom. Perfect information for new or uh, experienced DMs alike to, to just know, know that information. Did you have anything to say about that? No, just I think it's, it's, if not as good as any adventure, it's better than other adventures in just how it does that. I think some yep. of the adventures have tried to, for whatever reason, give you a taste, but not a summary enough. And, and mm-hmm. so you're still learning. And it, like this does a good job of just telling you, here's what's going to happen at a high level. Right. It's great. One method, one method of getting things across is you start... Think of it as a, a funnel, right? You start with the 10,000-foot view, and then as you close in, you're just getting less general, more specific, and as the funnel gets smaller, your details get deeper and deeper. And that is something this book, I think, does pretty well. Um, one, 
words mean things. <laughs> so I read a quote and my first thought was no. And it's in a section called about this book. It says, this book presents Icewind Dale as a self-contained campaign setting. Well, yes, kind of, but no. Right. If you are in the Forgotten Realms, you are not in a self-contained setting because they're, the Forgotten Realms are so big. Right. They don't talk about every single god in the Forgotten Realms pantheon in here. So it's not really self-contained. Uh, the setting, yes, is self-contained, but there's still a lot of knowledge as a DM you're going to need to bring with you particularly if you have players who want to use every single resource out there for their characters. Yeah. So just keep that, keep that in mind. It, it is a great self-contained setting, not necessarily a campaign overall campaign book. Yeah. And something we can look at it over time. You know, we talked about last time when we reviewed all the different elements of Icewind Dale uh, in general, you know, does this book truly cover all of Icewind Dale to the depth do you want? Or do you still end up saying, oh, well, you should also buy Legacy of the Crystal Shard um, mm -hmm. or look in other places. You know, do, you, do you need to go to the FR Wiki, right? We can kind of look at that over time, whether the depth is, is sufficient. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a great idea. Uh, so we learn from a sidebar that the adventure is assumed to take place in the winter of 1489 or later. Oh, man. That, you know, when I saw that, it got me going because... You know, yeah. you know how I am about canon. And so 1489, right. wait a minute. I mean, yeah. the latest adventures have been 1492. How is this not in 1493? <laughs> Why? We, we went back and then, then, so then I have to go to my blog post where I dissected the history of recent products. And I go, this is so far back. I mean, it only feels like three years, but this makes it happen. The only adventures that happen earlier than Rhyme as the minimum is mm -hmm. Out of the Abyss and Horde of Tiamat. Right. And potentially it happens even before Storm King. What? Like, mm -hmm. it's really like, why did they choose to do that? Right. And, and you could just yeah. say like, well, maybe they just wanted to say you're it's flexible. Mm -hmm. You know, any date after this works. Right. Or maybe this is truly meant to be as a thing that happened back then. Right before sure. other, I don't know. It's interesting, but I, I found it very fascinating. And and at least as I quickly looked through the book, I did not see anything like, you know, ex cultist of elemental evil or right. anything. You know, a traitor from Cholt. I didn't see anything like that that would say. But wait, it has to be after this particular period of time. So it really does feel like 1489 or later, which is interesting. Yeah, the the thing that came to mind for me with that was one of the plots which we're going to talk about has to do with Asmodeus, um, which then harkened made me think immediately of Descent into Avernus. Yeah. But I haven't read far enough in to know if there is any tie in there. Well, there shouldn't be because supposedly this happened before that. Yeah. So who who knows? And I mean, Asmodeus is kind of in some ways like if you're going to go devils, it's Asmodeus because Asmodeus heads up all of the nine hells yep. um you know it's 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 a little easier to go with him than it is with the demon side where like any one of them could be featured um so asmodeus is your obvious big bag whenever you're dealing with devils but asmodeus has been dropped into products for a while now i mean like even in candlekeep right asmodeus when, when we wrote sure. confrontation in candlekeep during the uh, D D 5e playtest days asmodeus yep. was behind that right and so asmodeus certainly it, it feels to me like the big bad that has their finger on the forgotten realms. Right. The, the, it's the, it's the, the one big force that 
is seems to be ever present but never touched yeah. never stat blocked out and put into the adventure yeah Whereas, you know, if you want to do that, you throw Tiamat in, right? You throw Orcus in, you throw these big, these big bads that seem to always come up. But Asmodeus is never, uh, never presented in that way. You can't kill me because my stats aren't in this product. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, next we have an adventure summary and it is less of the page, which is good. Providing the three main plots of the adventure. Um, the titles they're given are Durgard Despot, Netherese Necropolis, and Aurel's Everlasting Rhyme. So these are going to be the three major story arcs of this adventure, which you as the DM can pull out individually and run, or can weave together into a larger, uh, more dramatic, more involved campaign. The high-level version of each of these plots is as follows. For Durgar Despot, Zardarok Sunblight is tricked by Asmodeus into trying to establish a hold over Icewind Dale as his own domain, and he will use Shardlin as a tool to do that. Um, The second is Netherese Necropolis. The Netherese Sky City of Yithrin crashed here centuries ago, and now members of the Arcane Brotherhood are searching for it. And the third is Oral's Everlasting Rhyme, which is sort of the overall setting uh, plot where Oral's curse keeps Icewind Dale in perpetual darkness. Can the curse be lifted? So as, as we don't want to get too deep into these yet because we're going to talk about them in greater detail later, uh, but as overall plots, what did you think about each? These are really cool. Uh, I love them uh, from a number of cases. So, so Dwergar... This to me really evokes legacy of the crystal shard. Um, mm-hmm. This is your Shardolin corruption of ice left over from the old Krinshinabon artifact. It ties into the, the Drizdward and novel series. Um, really evocative, really cool. Netherese Necropolis is a new element for Icewind Dale. The idea that the Netherese have a floating city that crashed here is, is you know, that's new. Um, but it ties in the old friends, the Arcane Brotherhood. That's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, not to get too far into it, but I mean, this floating city involves a Mithalar. And that's right. some deep FR lore type stuff that players don't usually get to mess with. Right. I mean, for, for those who might not be uh, steeped in, in Forgotten Realms lore, what is a Mithalar? So a Mithalar is like a huge arcane engine that channels energy of like both raw magic itself and the gods and kind of anchors magic to the realms allowing it to work properly but when you find one you can work with it and make it do things and so the greatest cities in history have sort of had these things um so like the elven nations have tapped into this right and and used mythalars to power what they do and yeah yeah so, so like Myth Draenor yeah. would be an example of one. Waterdeep has something like that, um, that, that protects it, like a mythal yeah. that, that keeps dragons out and, yep. and, and things of that nature. So it just, it um, bends the, it, it allows you to bend what normally is possible in a world because you have access to this. Yep. 
And what about the everlasting rhyme? What do you think about that? I, I love the concept of it. What I, what I really loved when I read this part, this, this summary is the words that are used, which to me read like very Perkins words were just a beautiful way of creating these visuals oral as casting the spell every day, being weakened by it. Um, mm-hmm. It manifests the spell. It has the presence of an Aurora, right? So it's beautiful mm-hmm. and horrible right. at the same time yep. that the people can just sense when this thing begins, that this is the presence of oral and just the concept and, and naming of everlasting rhyme. I, I find it just beautifully evocative, wonderful piece of story work. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it. All three of these are interesting in their own ways, right? There, there's there's this sort of God-driven ephemeral thing. Then there's the just straight-on Duragar want to control that, you know. And then there's the mysterious, arcane-driven, history-driven, uh, Netherese yeah. uh, element with the arcane brotherhood. So, you know, there's, there's different flavors of adventure, but they're all cool. And they're all things that you can really use as a DM, depending on a, what you like or B what your players like. Yep. And I like the use of three plot threads. It's kind of a nice tip of the hat to the legacy, of the crystal shard and, and those mm-hmm. uh, series of adventures that would use these three quests, you know, three main plot threads that kind of evokes that yep. as well. Yeah, and without digging into it any deeper, what I also like about that is you as a DM can say, you know, my players are not going to be interested in the Durgar um, or Oral even, but this Netherese thing, I'm going to use that. I'm going to make my own adventures that lead up to it and then some side quests that go off of it, but the main thread of my campaign is just going to be this. Yeah, absolutely. That's good design. Yeah. Can I also say we get this sidebar that answers the question of Chardalin? Mm-hmm. Chardalin? Um, yeah. and, and I'm just going to quote it because I, I think this is a fundamental, neat lore piece to understand. More than 100 years prior to this adventure, a wizard named Akar Kessel found an artifact suffused with demonic magic called Krinshinaban, better known as the Crystal Shard, and used it to erect a great black tower in Icewind Dale. When this tower was destroyed, the magic used to create it fused the surrounding ice to form what is now known as Shardalin, a non-magical crystalline substance as strong as metal, though considerably easier to work with than steel. In the years since, more deposits of Shardalin have been found across Icewind Dale. Like the crystal shard, these deposits tend to be suffused with demonic magic, um, oh, suffused with demonic magic. Prolonged contact with Shardalin that has become suffused with demonic magic can warp a creature's mind, causing madness that usually fades away once contact is broken. I mean, that just really, and then there's a little, some additional pieces that say that you can actually suffuse it with either demonic or even celestial magic, and it can be consecrated mm-hmm. or desecrated, which is a really neat idea. Um, right. But I, I love how they do this. And then they'd say, long before Carcassel left his mark on Icewind Dale, Netherese wizards created their own Shardalin. Many items made from this dark colored crystal can be found in the ruins of ancient Netherese enclaves. Like yep. really nice way of remaking the lore and retuning it right. for today. Yep. Yep. Making it fit with the rule set of today and the ethos of today, but still giving a nod to what has come before. So we, that gives us that background on those three adventures and what Shardalin is. So now the next section is called running the adventure. And as you might imagine, 
this uh, gives instruction, first of all, on just as a DM, here, this is what box text is. Here's how you should use maps, whether you're going to run a, a minis-based game or theater of the mind game. Here's the poster maps. Here's how you might use those, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, in general, um, there's some nice guidance here. What I like is some adventures in the past for 5e have been a little shy on saying, hey, new DM, here's how to do things and, and make the adventure your own, right? And this includes things like feel free to alter the map, draw your own, leave things out, add new things, make it yours. And that's important and good guidance to add. Yeah, it is good guidance to add, and it's always tough, though, to know how much of that to give. It's one thing to say, hey, new DM, make this your own. It's another thing to tell them how. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's always the balance between those, those two extremes because that's even as a game designer, right, you're an adventure writer, you want the DM to do whatever they need to do to make it work for their players yeah. uh, rather than running it as written because there are so many different player types and so many different wants and desires uh, for DMs and players that you don't want it to be a straitjacket, right? You, you want it to be something that opens up rather than closes around them. And uh, so giving those instructions can be important. Yeah. There was an interesting part where, because they, you know, they're talking about this adventure specifically, how to run it. And then they give some strange forgotten realms sort of background and I'm like, it's not very long, but I'm wondering if it was really needed. They, they talk about the Sword Coast and these three cities that are on the Sword Coast, which Luskin comes up a little bit in the adventure because that's where the Arcane Brotherhood is from. And you know, some characters are described as, you know, you might be from Waterdeep. But I didn't know if that was really needed. Yeah. Uh, it feels a little odd there because it's not like we're going to go to Neverwinter or Waterdeep or Luskin and... Right. It was just, yeah. I don't know, maybe they needed a little extra text, so they threw that yeah, in. Um, I mean, it's not terrible. It's it's literally three or four paragraphs, but uh, it was just kind of strange. The next section is called Adventure Flow and Dissecting the Adventure. And these parts, I think, are super important, especially for newer and experienced campaign DMs. It's one thing to sit down and run a four-hour adventure and then sit down and run a different four-hour adventure. It's a whole other thing to DM a campaign. Um, I would have liked to see more than just in this, uh, they give a list of the chapters and a few sentences on what's in each. And then they give three paragraphs on using this if you're not in Icewind Dale. So it's, it's kind of almost, uh, I don't know if it needed to be said that you could use this in your own home campaign. You could set it in this place in Eberron or this place. Yeah, you can, but that doesn't help me run it per se. So to have that in the adventure flow and dissecting the adventure section didn't didn't seem necessary to me. Yeah, I think I've liked it better when they put this at the in an appendix and and gave it a little more depth and gave me right. some better ideas because I mean, what what is it like what's the point if I say that this is the Yatal Mountains of Oerth and not Icewind Dale? okay but what how do i i mean i have 10 towns and i have all these other and i have a ragged glacier and how do i make you know what like yeah. you haven't really given me much guidance with this right Th this seems to be that thing that's often said because they feel like it needs to be said but it doesn't really help right. anyone anyone who already knows D D well knows they can do this because they do it all the time they take this adventure move it here and make changes 
Um, but this doesn't tell how to do it. It just says you can do it. So yeah. it's that whole guidance thing again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It, it, it's a, it almost feels like, the, like you said, the thing that they feel they must say, but it's not actually helping anyone to say this, like, because it's not a toolkit and, and it's, and it's somewhere in between. So it's, it's a strange, it doesn't just say, Hey, make the adventure your own, which I think is important to say. And you can say right. that in various ways and it's worth yeah. doing, but it's, it's almost pretending to be instruction when it's not actually instruction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that just, you know, as a player, as a DM that you can do it. So you want to say it, take the next step and say how, yeah. um, because that's what new DMs are going to need. They're going to need that instruction. And what do I run first? They're going to need that instruction is how do I get from chapter one to chapter two and make it work organically? Um, you know, those, those are the things that, that they need to know. Yeah. And, um, and just in general, I think I feel like a number of people feel this way that we are paying you for this really cool book that is useful. Mm-hmm. Not our, our, our money is not going towards that we can then do things, right? right? Because we can always do that. Like that is, that's the free part of the game. I can make my own right. setting or whatever, right? Like, yep. but I yep. want from you utility. Mm-hmm. And so whenever exactly. content is just sort of like, it acts like it's utility, but it's not, then that's, that's kind of value less, right? If, if it makes sense, and sure. I'm not trying to be overly harsh with that, but it's, it's sort no, of like, it's, yeah. And, and it's, it's a, it's a habit that we adventure writers get into, yeah. right? We, we want to say, we want to be helpful, but sometimes we don't want to go to the extent of giving all the help we can, maybe because we don't have the room for the, you know, it's not always laziness. It's not always trying to get out of it. It's just, we might not have the word count to do it. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a, again, it's that balance of using every word to the, to its utmost potential to help the person who is using this user manual that we're making. Yeah. Uh, the next section is running NPC party members. Um, I, this is, again, it's, it's good, uh, but it's very basic information. Um, I, m- more information here. If you're going to say this, you're talking to new DMs. So be as helpful as you possibly can. Don't just say, oh, if you have an NPC, hand it to a player to play um, if you get overwhelmed. That's, yes, but what about an evil NPC? What about an NPC with a secret? Uh, What about an NPC that's going to turn on the characters at some point? How do you run that? How do you run an NPC that's helpful without overwhelming things. You know, that sort of information, especially in the context of the adventure itself, would be great. Yeah. And I don't, do you have anything to add to that or is it just no, I think me it's spot on. going off on a little rant? This is another example of, you know, it's just two paragraphs and so it's fine, but, but it doesn't, there are so many hints and tips that come from how to run an NPC well as a DM. And this just sort of says, hey, you know, give a copy to the player, let them know you might take it back. But it's not, there's so many reasons and ways to do that that are really helpful advice. And it's not really giving you all of that. And so, you know, I know there's only so much space you can use, but, but again, like provide utility. And this, this, I wouldn't really characterize this as being particularly useful. Right. If, if you're going to do it, 
put it in the context of this adventure. And, or you could say, we will provide information about running certain NPCs when those NPCs are in the adventure. Yeah. In fact, if this advice was retooled the first time in an NPC that's going to travel with the players were to come up mm -hmm. and you were to stay right. in a sidebar, Hey, with this NPC and others, consider yeah. giving this to the, to a player to, to control right. so that they're more right. invested in it. Um, and, and, and why, right? Because the, the reason you give a player control is they'll suddenly care about it more mm -hmm. and they will take the turns with that character carefully. They're less likely to forget it. Whereas you as DM who's running a whole herd of monsters, you'll probably forget the NPC, but they will remember it uh, and they will mm -hmm. care about it and they might role play it. And right. So there are all these reasons why you're doing that. And that could go in a sidebar the first time, but apply it to everybody else. And yeah. And then what are the pitfalls of doing that? Especially if the character, if the NPC is going to, like I said, turn on everyone or something is going to be written into the adventure that happens to them that the players can't stop. Yeah. And this kind of links in a bit to um, the frozen North adventure that we talked about earlier, 10 one that premiered this weekend. It does an interesting thing that ties into the new release Tasha's that's going to come out later, which provides sidekick characters. Mm -hmm. And sidekick characters are NPCs that you can run um, and players could maybe run. And, and in the frozen North, these sidekick characters show up uh, and you get a number of them. And it feels a little bit, I, I like the adventure a lot, but it feels a little bit like out of the abyss where you have a whole horde of characters mm -hmm. on the table now. And players are taking long terms because they've got those plus the NPCs and, and there's a lot mm -hmm. of guidance there that maybe we'll find in Tasha's, right? Because that'd be a good place for it because it's, it's impactful right. to the game and it's impactful to yep. the challenge of the mm -hmm. adventure. Uh, I found it interesting in running the frozen North, it would say things like um, if your party is a strong table and I wanted to say, are we counting the fact that you added three NPCs to my table? Cause <laughs> yeah. they're kind of strong with that. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's not only that they can attack, but it's they, they soak up damage. Yep. And every uh, character you add adds almost multiplies the strength of the party yeah. because of that. I so could, I could see this being uh, an adventure where people use sidekicks. So all this might be relevant. Yeah. Yep. So it's again, not saying that what's there is bad. It's just how useful is it? in the context of a new DM, an experienced DM, and what happens exactly in the adventure itself. Uh, you know, we've been going for a while. We didn't even cover wilderness survival and that all that great exploration stuff, but I think we can hit that next time. Cool. And then we'll also cover the first chapter, which is all about the 10 towns and the adventures that happen there. Awesome. Uh, I look forward to it. Whew. That was a show. Indeed it was, was Sean. Nope, that was a show. Most of them are. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this this was more show than than normal. I think. I don't know. It just it felt more showy. You know, if if listeners could please let us know which is the showiest of our shows. Yes, that's what I really want we to will, know. We will put up a poll. Which show is the showiest? But speaking of you listeners out there, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for letting us talk with you or at you or around you. And uh, I, we hope you enjoy what we have to say. Uh, if you 
would like to be a patron of the show, we would so much appreciate that for even a dollar a month. Um, you can get a few extras from not just us, but from two other shows on the Misdirected Mark Network, Panda's Talking Games, and the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, Teos, where can people find you? You can find me at AlphaStream on Twitter, tweeting with the tweets, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. or forming at the Misdirected Mark forums, or blogging sometimes at the AlphaStream.org blog. Mm -hmm. I also tweet tweet twits <laughs> at Sean Merwin on Twitter. Or you can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com, talk about individual topics or individual episodes with Teos and me. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Teos, what do you think we should do now? Well, honestly, what everybody should actually do is go back to the beginning where we talked about how you can get those D&D &D celebration downloads and get yourself your gelatinous ice cube familiar. Mm -hmm. Go kill some gelatinous ice cube familiars. Mm -hmm. You're down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? &D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? &D? Yeah, you know me.